Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today from the RCA studios with a championship week edition of the show to preview, in my own way, the Georgia-Alabama National Championship game coming up on Monday and to tell you why Alabama's domination of Georgia in the SC Championship game was an anomaly and a performance that I don't think is possible for them to duplicate. If you're new to the show, please make sure to like and share and subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. Please follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter. And as always, you can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. So, a lot of people have asked this question. It's a really fair question to ask. UJ just lost to Alabama a month ago by 17 points, was dominated thoroughly throughout the game. Um, for the last three quarters of the game, was absolutely run off the field, for more, more or less. And yet, they come in this game favored by two and a half to three points over a Bama team that just took them apart a month ago. And I honestly think that one of the reasons for that, and I've said this now for several weeks, is that when you take a closer look at that game and what transpired, you come to realize that while Alabama played Georgia off the field that day, a lot of what they did was not only uncharacteristic of what they had done the entire year, it's stuff that I don't think it's possible to duplicate. So let me go ahead and jump right into this. Here are four reasons Bama's domination of Georgia was an anomaly and a performance that they can't repeat. Number one, Bryce Young can't repeat his near flawless performance, his Heisman Trophy winning performance. Young ended that game with a QBR of 98.1. That, that's his second highest of the year, and his highest was a 99.1 against Southern Miss. We threw, I believe it was, two incomplete passes, and he had five touchdowns and no interceptions. So he played virtually a perfect game. Against Georgia, he had a rating of 98.1, which tells you that, again, he played virtually flawless football. In addition to that, he also posted his second highest rushing total of the season at 40 yards, which is significant because he ran for several huge first downs when Georgia was not able to get pressure on him. Lastly, consider this. He had 47 dropbacks without a turnover or a sack. And I don't think people realize this. This is the first game all year in which Bryce Young was not sacked. That includes games that Alabama played against Mercer, New Mexico State, and Southern Miss. Sacked in all of those games. This leads me to point number two. Bama cannot possibly repeat their performance up front. In the SEC Championship game we just mentioned, Bryce Young dropped back 47 times without getting sacked. Threw the ball 44 times, ran three times. Against New Mexico State and Southern Miss, he attempted a combined 45 passes and got sacked three times. In the last three SEC games he played, he was sacked 15 times. Bammer surrendered 2.71 sacks per game on the season and allowed the 18th most sacks in the country at 38. They're not as good up front as they played in the SEC championship game, but it's up to Georgia to expose that because Georgia grossly underperformed in the pass rush. They did not win one-on-ones. This is something Kirby Smart has talked about at length. Their best pass rusher, Adam Anderson, is out indefinitely. Who knows if he'll ever even play football again. 
And when you go back and watch that game, what you see is that in the third and fourth quarter, after the long Jamison Williams touchdown, Georgia starts to rush five and six on virtually every snap. And the result is on the last four possessions of the game for Bama, punt, 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 field goal. Amazing. I would venture to say that Georgia will be sitting a lot more five- and six-man pressures and playing a lot more man because, as has been shown, and even Cincinnati showed this, the way to get to Bama is to play man and bring pressure. A&M did it. Auburn did it. LSU did it. And they all had success with it. I remember watching the Auburn game, texting my friends saying, I can't believe that Auburn's getting away with playing this much man. Now, caveat. Georgia does not have a Roger McCreary on their team like Auburn does, a first-round draft pick at corner more than likely. We darn sure don't have two All-Americans like Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant like uh, Cincinnati had. Go back and watch some of that film on what Ahmad Gardner did to Ja'Cory Brooks. It was darn near child abuse. I'm watching him play press man and push this kid out of bounds multiple plays in a row. The kid can't even get off his jam to get back onto the field to play to run his routes. It was, it was ridiculous. And... I don't know that Georgia can do that. But what Georgia can do is use pressure from our inside backers, pressures from a slot to get heat on Bryce Young. Because when you go back and watch that game, the last four positions of the game, when we started bringing pressure, the ball came out and it hit the ground a lot more than it hit the hands of his receivers. And when you look at the big plays, like the Jameis Williams touchdown, where Bryce Young sits there, pats the ball, pats the ball, pats the ball, four-man pressure. Look at the John Mechie touchdown. Bryce Young pats the ball, takes a sip of coffee, calls New York, tells him to book his reservation for the Heisman, and throws a strike to the far corner of the end zone. You can't do it. So not only do I think that Bama can't repeat their performance up front, I think it's up to Georgia to perform better in the pass rush. And considering that Georgia is a team that is third in college ball in sacks, I don't think a no-sack performance is something you can expect from them again. Number three. UGA will be better in the red zone. Now, based on their averages, UGA scored touchdowns on 59% of their red zone possessions and kicked field goals on about 23% of their red zone possessions. And so when you do all the math, the expected points that you would have out of four red zone possessions with them is 19.5 points. So they scored 14. So basically they underachieved by two field goals. And you have to go back and think, well, crap, two additional field goals puts that at a field goal in a touchdown two-point conversion game and I just don't think it's very likely that UGA is going to have two red zone trips in this game where they get zero points I just don't think that's a likely outcome and their red zone rating on the season which was 83 and some decimal points is very average it was 72nd in the country literally right in the middle very average and they're third in the country the number of red zone field goal attempts they converted so UGA in the red zone hasn't been elite offense but they usually do score And so you have to go back and think even two red zone field goals instead of a turnover and a turnover on downs makes it a game where midway through the fourth, maybe you're down 10 instead of you're down 11 instead of 17. And it changes the calculus of what you're having to do. You're not having to be aggressive in bad spots on offense. It changes how you manage your timeout, the way you view punts and field position. All that changes if you're down by two scores as opposed to three. So I think it's reasonable to expect UJ to be better in the red zone. So again, this is maybe stating the obvious, but 
I don't think you can expect UGA to have empty, multiple empty red zone trips in this game again. And if they do, I will tell you the result will likely be the same. Number four, UGA will have to be better on third down. This has come up over and over again throughout the season. As we talked about, Stetson Bennett is a very average third down quarterback, while as JT Daniels is an exceptionally elite third down quarterback. We don't have to rehash all that. But in the SEC championship game, Georgia was just 3 of 12 on third downs, only 25%, well below their season average of 45%, which was 19th in the country. So they are a good third down team. Against Michigan, they were an uber impressive 10 out of 16, which was 63%. So that's exceptional. For the record, in case you're wondering, Alabama is second in the country at 52.7%. So they are absolutely exceptional on third down. But in simple terms, what that means is that UJ converted two and a half fewer third downs than you would expect them to during the game. So that may not sound like a lot, but you have to consider this. What if those two extra first downs came on those two failed red zone possessions? <laughs> Perhaps you score or at least keep those possessions alive. What if they came when you stalled out in no man's land, were going to go forward and fourth down and got that false start? What if you get a first down there and you're not having a punt and you're back in field goal range? You have to think about these things. One or two first downs over the course of a game is a huge difference because even if you don't score, that's also time that Alabama doesn't have the ball. You have to think, if you get two or three more first downs, that might be 10 to 12 more plays that you're running, which is three or four minutes that Bama doesn't have the ball and Bryce Young can't hurt you. And all these things increase your chances of netting points and ultimately winning the game. So those are four reasons why I don't think that Bama can repeat that SEC championship game performance. Now, what I did not say is that Bama cannot win. Bama can absolutely beat Georgia again. They are a great team. They've already beaten Georgia. We know they're capable of it. But the 41-24 throttling that you saw where Georgia just looked absolutely lost on defense for a quarter and a half, Bryce Young was untouchable, and the UGA offense couldn't figure it out in the red zone, I don't think those things are things you will see again in this game. If Bama wins, it's likely because, again, Bryce Young plays really well and Georgia can't score enough points or get enough stops. I think those things are quite possible. But for Bryce Young to go an entire game untouched to finish without his jersey getting dirty a single time, no turnovers, really no bad throws, UJ unable to convert. I just don't see that going this way. Now, for UJ to beat Bama, I think these are four things that have to happen. And again, these are things that are probably true for every game but I'm applying them specifically to the way things turned out in this first matchup. First thing, and this is, again, so obvious, but they have to limit the turnovers. Stetson Bennett's last two time against Alabama, five interceptions, five touchdowns. Not going to get it done. And when you add in getting stopped at the 19-yard line on that turnover by downs, that's almost like a sixth turnover. So you can't turn the ball over at the rate he has. Five interceptions and five touchdowns does not get the job done especially a pick six, which just essentially ended the game in the third quarter when that interception was thrown. Second, and we've already said this, and we will continue to say it, you have to pressure Bryce Young. In 2020, people forget this, but in the 2020 game, Georgia sacked Mac Jones three times, got three hurries, and had an interception off a deflected pass. In the SC Championship game, eight hurries, zero sacks. They did pressure Bryce Young into some throwaways late in the game when they started sending more pressure. So let me just hit you with this quick gem from Seth Emerson. When UJ rushed four fewer in this game, 
Bryce Young was 13 of 19 for 297 yards and three touchdowns. When UJ rushed five or more, he was one for 11 for 24 yards. That right there tells you all you need to know about how UJ can and should approach this game. When they decided to blitz and play a man in the second half, they were able to slow down Alabama's offense. You saw a lot of man. We knocked down two or three slant routes. That's going to have to be the approach we take. But it goes without saying that you have to pressure Bryce Young to have any hope in the game. Cincinnati was able to do it. Auburn was able to do it. LSU was able to do it. We sound like a broken record saying this, but it's what you have to do. Third thing, and again, this is something we just said, you have to fix third down. Georgia was actually 7 of 16 against Alabama in the 2020 game, which is impressive. It's a good it's a good rate. It's right around, around what their rate is for this year. But being successful on third down, as we know, really starts with first and second down. A, actually running the ball and not abandoning the run game in the second quarter when the game is still close, and B, running it effectively. And the number to look for, and this is key here, can Georgia average at least at least four yards per carry. In the SEC Championship game, Georgia ran the ball at 3.6 yards per carry. And there's a little noise in that because that does include sack yardage. But on straight handoffs, Georgia's running backs ended up with 23 carries for 98 yards. That ain't killing it, but that's over four yards a carry, which is the mark you really want to land at. And that's on straight handoffs. Georgia OC Todd Munkin, who I thought was brilliant in the Michigan game, he went away from the run too early in that game. I really do believe that because Georgia was running the ball not explosively, but efficiently, which has been their thing all year. They don't hit a lot of big plays, but they're efficient. And I really think that that's got to be a part of the game, sticking to the run game. Because, again, getting four yards on first down means second and six and not second and ten. And second and six is better than second and ten. Now, the Alabama run defense is very good. But, again, we're not talking about running the ball 40 times like Alabama did to Cincinnati. That's not going to happen. You're not going to have a 200-yard rushing game against Alabama. You might even run for 130 yards. But can you run the ball 30 times for 120 and run for five first downs? Or have seven or eight first down runs that get you at least three to five yards and set you up for the rest of your – and set you up on schedule for the rest of the possession? That's what we're trying to get. And I think that that's something that Georgia's got to do, which is not deviate from the run game to try to play in a shootout with Alabama, which is what Alabama wants Georgia to do. They want sets a minute dropping back to throw the ball four eight times because that gives them – the advantage. And the fourth thing Georgia's got to do, and again, not anything shocking here, they have to stop the big play. In the last two matchups against Alabama, they've given up passing touchdowns of 40, 55, 67, and 90. Alabama is a great offense. They were a historically good offense last year, and they are a very, very good offense this year. Good offenses hit explosive plays. You can't give up 50, 60, and 70-yard touchdowns, though, and expect to stay in the game with them. You have to make them work for their points. You have to make them drive the ball. You have to give yourself the opportunity to get sacks and stops in the run game by forcing them to run 10 plays, 12 plays, even 9 plays. Three-play drives kill your defense. And as we saw in the SC Championship game, when the other team is hitting you with 55-yard touchdown passes, it changes your approach to calling the game because you feel like you have to press and score quickly. Therefore, you then drop back and throw the ball 48 times and don't run the ball with your excellent offensive line and your stable of very high-quality running backs. So, I know that's not exactly rocket science, but I think those are four things that Georgia has to do if they're going to actually beat Bama. Now, having said that, what do I think is the actual likely outcome of this game? 
First of all, as I said throughout this podcast, I do not think the Alabama offense can repeat that performance. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think the Alabama offense can't score 30 points. I think they absolutely can. But I think if Georgia plays just their normal game on defense, doesn't bust three or four coverages, doesn't die on the vine, brushing the passer, I think they can hold Bama under 30. And, you know, it might help here to give you a really tangible example of what I'm talking about. If you go back to the 55-yard Jamison Williams touchdown to start the third quarter, Georgia is actually playing a bracket coverage to double-team him. It's what they refer to as their cone technique. The corner in that play, Keely Ringo, is supposed to trail the receiver if he gives an inside release. And he's supposed to funnel him to the safety. If the receiver gives an outside release, he is supposed to lock him in man and force him to the sideline. On that play, Jamison Williams gives an inside release. Keely Ringo trails. Our All-American safety in a probably top 60 pick in the NFL draft this year, Lewis Seen, doesn't get enough width on his drop. He gets a stutter from Jamison Williams, bites, and then when the ball is thrown perfectly down the seam, he can't recover. You're talking about the difference in one and two steps because as much as it seems like Seen is beat by a lot, when you watch the end of that play and replay, you can see that Seen actually gets his hand all the way down to Williams' arm and almost claws the ball out. So again, you're talking about seeing All-American safety simply being off by one or two steps that cost Georgia a 55-yard touchdown. Again, if he takes two more steps of width while he's backpedaling, that ball probably ends up as an incompletion. And I'm just telling you, I don't think those kinds of plays are going to be there for Alabama this time. I can't guarantee you that. But if so, I think it might be one or two and not an entire quarter and a half of them. I think Bama is quite capable of scoring 30, but I think this is a game that's going to be played in the high 20s to maybe lower 30s. And I think that you can expect Todd Munkin to rely more on the run game, put less on Stetson Bennett's arm. I think you can see Georgia adjust and bring more five and six man pressures early in the game and play more man. In result, I think that the spread is just about right. I like Georgia in this game, 31-27. to 27, And I like the Dogs bringing home their first national championship of my lifetime. This has been Dave Bethay for the Tide Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.